planets to come to? Uh, according to Zack Snyder, they can. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Thumpy Dogs. Army. It, it happens a lot in Army of the An Dead. An Army yeah. Hammer of the Dead. Oh, dude, oh my god. Army Hammer is right such there. a great zombie. <laughs> it's right there. He, he, he's already a cannibal. You know what I mean? He's so used to it already. Yeah, yeah right? Already a cannibal, bro. <laughs> Loves eating people. Yeah. <laughs> That's too real. It's too real. Too, real. <laughs> too, too soon. Too soon. Too soon. We're going to get canceled, guys. <laughs> I, uh, I think they did in... The, res- the first Resident Evil movie. I remember there being some like, yeah. zombie dogs. Yeah. Sure. That's something that doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, because I don't want to put you in that position, but like, what if Stevie was turning? Well, I did say that she bit me earlier, and uh, I was going to That means you're going to turn, yeah. man. I'm going to turn into a cat. <laughs> you're going to be like Michael Jackson at the end of the... <laughs> the best existence. At the end of the Way You yeah. Make Me Feel video where he turns into a cat for some reason. He's he's gonna be go- like the animated Garfield. I hate Mondays. Mosey around Mondays. <laughs> I hate Mondays. When this and show yeah, comes out, I hate Mondays. Yeah. I mean, he was a zombie once, yeah. so that was you know why not be you know a cat? Yeah, just fuck it. The next ten years, do as a cat. Yeah. Bored of this human. Cats form. do not give a shit. Even if they turn into zombies, I think like the zombie virus would be so afraid of the cats and <laughs> And what do, that they just vacate. And zombies, what the they just like do what they did when they were humans, and Stevie just walks around, sleep, finds <laughs> walks boxes. around, yeah, sleeps in your bed. Yeah. <laughs> I think I kind of figured out cats now. I think that's actually what we're talking about here. And those people were once cats humans. the yeah. movie, and now yeah, and they Disgusting. got bitten. Yeah, and that explains the buttholes. <laughs> oh, Jason Derulo. Um, Jason Derulo. Jason. Welcome to Franchise presented <laughs> by the Bread the Crumbs Collective. <laughs> the podcast where each season we go through some of Hollywood's <laughs> biggest movie franchises one film at a time as we try to figure out what makes them good and what makes them bad <laughs> or what makes a franchise work or what makes it dead. Here we are. I'm your host, Jonathan Foster. I am here each and every week. Now with Mr. Exclusive, only for this whole entire season, Zombie Boy, Phil. How's Mr. it going, Phil? Exclusive. Welcome to the podcast. All right. <laughs> I'm hanging in there. I'm comfy. I've finished my coffee, which is really disappointing. Yeah. But I'm going to try and you know live up to the standards that you two have set out with franchise. Or <laughs> fuck it up completely. Cool. cool. Standard is very generous. Yeah, yeah, that's very. I mean, do you um, know what we started with? It was the fucking Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, I think we. Hey, they're great, man. Yeah, they're yeah. great. So we established that they are great, <laughs> but we did establish the the fact that we started with a series that no one seems to like and yeah. uh, no one gave a shit about. So yeah, but that was all because of who my. Uh, who, Comrade, who? my colleague, my co-host extraordinaire, the original OG co-host. Who is it? It's Ariana Nantaputri. He's getting egotistical with it. It's my daughter. What's up, Ariana? <laughs> What's up, Dad? Hey, Phil. Hi. Ari, how are you feeling about doing a season two of Franchise? I'm feeling great. I'm shocked. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's shocked that we have a season two. Um, well, going who's going to stop us? Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's the whole point of the bread yeah. breadcrumbs um, collective. Yeah. <laughs> Who the we hell ha- is going to stop? We are beholden yeah. to no one. Exactly. Yeah. Only bread and crumbs. Exactly. Yeah. Until those get eaten. But I think most yeah. people are yeah. pretty uh, pretty excited for the zombie madness yeah. that we're bringing to I'm the so table. I'm so excited. I love zombies. Yeah. Me too. I mean, 
I said this on the main timeline of the Pod Charles Cinecast a couple of weeks ago, but um, the idea of doing this film, this film series, the Romero dead films, uh, it, it we very easily could have started somewhere else, like a, a lesser than or a sillier or a different kind. Of, cause this is a few zombie franchises out there. There is mm-hmm. uh, obviously the Resident Evil series, which I would love to do. <laughs> um, but I feel like it would do a disservice to zombies to start anywhere but Romero's films because he set all the rules. The granddaddy. What about the rules? What? what all the, the rules. rules. <laughs> what are the rules? How long does it take for you to turn? <laughs> Why does it keep changing? Is it the amount of bites? Maybe. You know what I mean? But is it bites? Because some people they don't they don't turn when when you bite them. It's a very interesting thing, Ariane. Yeah, because we have set out in the Romero franchise world that uh, you don't actually need to be bitten to turn into a zombie. Exactly. You turn into one if you die. If you die during the thing, yeah. Which is enjoyable. Yeah, which is something that was picked up by The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. But there are other uh, zombie franchises out there that don't abide by that. But it also goes into play. What is it? What has turned people into? zombies what is turning people into zombies which like uh, is always a, a good interesting thing and it's kind of perfect that we are in the middle of the pandemic and it's something <laughs> that's plagued our minds will we turn into zombies i've had COVID. i don't know if it's going to turn me into a zombie like maybe a year from now maybe i've had the vaccine <laughs> maybe that would turn me yeah. like i am legend yeah you, know? you got a little vaxxed. dose of, i know that yeah uh, bill gates or whatever his name is is listening so (laughs) maybe maybe he has something to do with the zombies it's always something to do with rich people doing stupid shit yeah Um, yeah like hanging out with sexual predators and all sorts is that what they were doing on the island zombies i'm kidding i'm kidding kidding. (laughs) well we are here it's time i think we should maybe just start getting into it kim newman of empire magazine said the original and the best there we go. Marjorie Baumgarten of the Austin Chronicle said, it gets under your skin and it burrows into your blood and psyche. Nigel Floyd of Time Out said, chuckle if you can during the first few minutes because after that, laughter catches in the throat as clammy hand of terror tightens its grip. <laughs> it's always clammy. Never like a warm <laughs> hand of death. Yeah. Yeah, it never Comforting. Really. I mean, because they're dead. They're, dead. they're supposed to be cold. cold. I don't Scorched. want them to be clammy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into some retro reviews. I think those are a little bit newer. Uh, Vincent Canby of the New York Times, back when this came out, referred to the film as a junk movie, as well as spare, uncluttered, but really silly. The dialogue and the background music sound hollow as if they've been recorded in an empty swimming pool, and the wobbly <laughs> camera seems to have a fetishist interest in hands mm. oh, that's Tarantino. kind of yeah that's almost what makes it yeah, awesome yeah. Though, right that's, that stuff is kind of intentional that's, yeah. and they all yeah, work it makes it feel so accessible yeah. like yeah. films like this and gives you like like i could it was made for like five game. bucks you know yeah, <laughs> yeah probably over a weekend in somebody else's house like shut up vincent you're like new york times job exactly <laughs> why don't you make a movie <laughs> trying not to show any hands <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to a critic that may or may not be long dead why don't you go make a movie <laughs> yeah come on <laughs> oh my god Ariane what's up someone is undead oh I didn't think it was possible but oh my god Felix Vasquez <gasps> Jr. <gasps> of Cinema Craze <laughs> said 
it's pitch perfect in writing, mood, and scares, and it still holds up to scrutiny no matter how harsh. So true, Felix. So, true. so happy to have you back on board. <laughs> Felix Gonzalez Jr., OG Felix, on the other hand, has remained dead and missing MIA. So, oh, shit. Um, but Vasquez Jr. is here, and it's all good. I'm so happy. Uh, Roger, <laughs> Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times said after seeing the film in 1969 or maybe at the end of 1968 during a Saturday matinee, <laughs> there was a screening full of actual little kids. I felt awesome. real terror in that neighborhood theater last Saturday afternoon. I saw kids who had no resources they could draw upon to protect themselves from the dread and fear they felt. <sighs> that sounds terrifying, but also awesome. That's a beautiful... More on him later. They were not ready for this movie. Yeah. And critic Rex Reed wrote, if you want to see what turns a B movie into a classic, don't miss Night of the Living Dead. It's unthinkable for anyone seriously interested in horror movies not to see it. Mm. That's a good way of putting it. We've seen it, ladies and gentlemen, so let's get into it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Marianne and Phil, we are here in season two of Franchise, where we are taking on flesh-eating zombies, but not any zombies. It's the original zombies with George A. Romero's 1968 seminal zombie classic, Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to a night of total terror. haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. A night with the dead who cannot die. A night of total terror. Night. After radiation from a fallen satellite causes corpses to reanimate and leave graveyards in search of fresh human bodies to devour, a desperate group of individuals take refuge in a rural Pennsylvania farmhouse. The pragmatic Ben, played by Dwayne Jones. Oh. He's so fine. So cool. So cool. Does his best to control the situation, but 
When the reanimated bodies surround the house, the other survivors begin to panic. As any semblance of order within the group begins to dissipate, the ghouls, remember, because there's ghouls, ladies and gentlemen, start to find ways inside, and one by one, the living humans become the prey of the deceased. It's the 1968 independent horror film directed, photographed, and edited by George A. Romero and written by Romero and writer John Russo. Bill and Arianne, who wants it first? Hot takes out the gates, the Night of the Living Dead. It's Phil's first episode. He can. Uh, oh, he hot, can take. The floor hot is takes. Yours. Lukewarm I mean, takes are takes also exist welcome. over here. Uh, yeah. Lukewarm takes. Oh, I don't Clammy takes. Clammy, uh, clammy, yeah. clammy hand takes. Take. Oh, there's, yeah, there's going to be nothing clammy about this take. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, said, you said at the beginning, like, oh, uh, you know, we've all been looking forward to watching these. And I wasn't, to be honest, until <laughs> I watched it, I watched it this morning, and I had never seen it, and it just it did everything I wanted it to do. It was so much better than I thought it would be, and it was so much more enjoyable and like deeper than I thought it would be. Like, not only like lived up to its title as like a horror classic, but like an indie movie classic. Like, mm. like you said, yeah. like genuinely inspirational to watch. How effective it, it is with such primitive means and like no money honestly it's fucking great i really enjoyed it just like genuinely scary like just a suspense thing genuinely interesting inventive and like i said before on episode zero it's like the genre hasn't changed that much since this first movie it's like everything is here all the genre cliches are here in this movie but they've i've seen it rarely seen it done better and even the stuff that you could critique, like, yeah, some of the sound design's a bit like lacking, and that's just—it's not even bad. It's just literally missing. Like, yeah. there's a lot, when she's running through the house, there's like no footsteps. It's all yeah. music until you need to hear her talk. And but the music is so good, so you don't care. Yeah. And like, some of yeah. the effects like are a bit dated, but it's it's 1968. What do you want? And like, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's as good as it could be for that time. And all that stuff, none of it, like, hurt it. None of it hurt the viewing experience for me. Like, I genuinely got so into it and really, like, set a good mood for me. Because I watched this and then the second one, mm-hmm. back to back. And I was so excited to do that and just be in that world. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. That's my yeah. hot take. Not very nice. hot. I'm assuming most people. I'm. <laughs> it, it, it lived up to the hype, even it though it's what, 60 fucking years old. I'm surprised you hadn't seen it before. I would have never seen it. I would have taken that one as being one that because I know you said you had seen. You were familiar, obviously, with Dawn of the Dead, but I'm familiar with the later one. Yeah, I think I just ignored it. I think I threw it in with like older, maybe silent movie era, 60s mm-hmm. B movies. Yeah, that era of horror movie I very much yeah. ignored for a long time. And yeah. It's also, I think, like a lot less accessible than I think horror movies say from the eighties. You know, like that's mm. when people started, you know, redistributing, you know, copies and stuff. But yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. Um, I actually hadn't seen it until a couple weeks ago. It's on movie um, over here, and it's. What I really, really adored about it is like that, like you said, all the 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 tropes are here, but you know it feels fresh because it's the first one, like mm-hmm. you know, um, and I loved how 
I loved how like it was still interesting to watch the the relationships between the sort of survivors change in such a short amount of time. Um, like when those people from the, the cellar come uh, out for the first time and Ben is just like, who the hell are y'all? You cannot <laughs> come up here and try and- What is this, Parasite? Get out of my basement. Yeah, what, what, is this, what is this, Parasite? Movie that hasn't been made yet? Um, no, and it's just interesting to see how like, it was also, I think, one of the first films that had like a black lead right like or like yeah. black yeah. like a, a black it's completely ground groundbreaking yeah. groundbreaking, groundbreaking for sure and i just clocked that yeah dwayne jones that's um in the walking dead they named morgan's son um lenny james's character dwayne and his last name is jones yeah. and i thought that was a nice oh, touch that's fine um really lovely touch um but yeah no it's the og the music the score i love it's insane but what i thought was really funny was that like you can see that there are the rules have been established, but there are also rules that definitely got scrapped. Like you know how the zombies can pick stuff up and use them. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's yeah. hilarious. Like Lazily throw a rock into yeah, a window, smashing headlights, or stabbing your mom with a gardening <laughs> tool. Oh I, shit! Yeah, yeah. I was like, this little zombie girl is lit. Like, <laughs> yeah. For yeah. the first time out, we're like, yeah, fuck yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do yeah. the zombie child. You think we're not going to do it. But exactly. Wait. This is where <laughs> yeah. the zombie child came from. I think the more media became sort of like sanitized, uh, you know, like mm. the, the less the, the less this felt like really risque. But like watching it now, I mean, seeing a lot of, you know, dead kids in media, unfortunately. <laughs> It just feels, you know, like like it needed to happen for the story. At least to me. I don't know. Some people oh, yeah. argue that it's a bit senseless. But I really thought it was awesome that she, you know, ate her parents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that was one of, obviously, one of the most terrifying scenes from yeah. the film. Oh, definitely. Um, sure. es- especially something like the first time I ever saw it. Because I saw this film quite young. Um, I believe my mother showed it to me one day. Um, and... Obviously, like I grew up watching like a little bit more like terrifying stuff, but I still remember being young enough to find that scene in particular being really terrifying. And maybe it was also because like my mom came from a period where she would have seen this quite young, Mm -hmm. you know, and when it was fresh and before like, you know, the way 80s, like uh, late 70s and 80s horror really changed the game of horror films and changed a lot about like, uh, what you could do and get away with. And a lot of it, it owes it to this film. For sure. Like he, like being an independent film that was so insanely successful, opened the doors for the slasher world. Um, those films wouldn't exist without Romero. For sure. And like this film, like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a shame. It's a real shame that I couldn't see this back then, you know, back before my mind was fucking ruined by like, all this bullshit I have seen because I yeah. want to be fucking terrified like that again. And Before you had something to compare thing. it to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like it, it sucks to not be afraid of things anymore, really. Mm. Um, I That's why I'm, I'm almost like, I feel like I'm a drug addict sometimes with, with horror films. Like, you <laughs> know, you're just junkie. chasing it. Like you're chasing like the fucking film that just really scares you. Yeah, It's been a long time since I've had that. But like, that scene in particular still like I remember being scared. Like No, yeah. This film still creeped me the fuck out. And it shouldn't oh, yeah, scare sure. any of us. But like watching yeah. it, I was like, oh, like 
I was like kind of anxious. Like I don't like being in this house. Like this is genuinely yeah. kind of terrifying. Just so even intense. just the thought of it. It's tense. Yeah. Like it's really fucking well paced. Like it's short, but yeah. like it it does balance. It's it's a lot of like no, I don't even want to call it action because like the second movie does action. Yeah, yeah. the first yeah. movie yeah. there's a lot of like yeah. you know fighting with zombies and um big high like high pressure moments mm-hmm. and it's balanced yeah. well with just dialogue scenes and getting to know the characters in a very short span of time you have to mm. get to know them very well like that's something you can throw the acting it may be a bit sure. hammy but yeah. you know yeah. who yeah. everyone is right mm-hmm. away you know exactly yeah. who fucking harry is right away just the way he looks at them mm. I think his name is Harry, right? Mr. Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Harry Cooper, yeah. Harry yeah. Cooper, yeah. And his wife. You can tell his fucking wife hates his guts. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can tell. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah. so they are doing a lot. They're carrying a lot of the weight. Um, yeah. And they really, they sell it. Like, I believe that they're sort of scared and have no idea what they're up against. Yeah. Well, I think what makes it so beautiful is the fact that it's such a team effort as well. And that's what, like, I, I, that's what's beautiful about this film is like, I, you know, I may not be able to get scared of it like I used to or like um, comparative to like other things that could are just way more intense and violent and disgusting and like realistic. I mean, God, we you know spent a lot of time talking about The Walking Dead and like just how, how far uh, we've come like zombie yeah, like, wise, you know what I mean? Just the way they look and yeah. everything is just incredible. And it owes a lot to this because a lot of the people who helped create that show, like a Greg Nicotero, we will talk yeah. about later. Um, in future episodes, cut his teeth, you know, working with someone like a Tom Savini. Yeah. Um, and it's just like everything advanced from here. But this film, it was like, you know, everybody was important and just as important as Romero into making this thing work. And mm. basically, I'll get into it because after graduating from Carnegie Mellon University in 1960, George A. Romero was cutting his teeth in the film industry by shooting short industrial films and TV commercials, including a segment for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So <laughs> it's insane to think about. Awesome. Manny is responsible I see that for zombies. <laughs> Who's that at the door? Uh-oh. Who's that at the door? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Jensen, you looked fine yesterday. <laughs> oh, you want a hug? <laughs> Should I call it? It's a new kind of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, with nine of his friends, including screenwriter John Russo and producer Russell Strainer, who plays Johnny. The beginning of the film. Mm. So he's one of the producers the brother, of the yeah. film. This is how it like, goes to show that a lot of these guys are working together. And, you know, they're all just like, it's a team effort to make this work. They started the Pittsburgh-based production company, The Latent Image. So, yeah, that's what's kind of cool about Romero films is like, he's from New York himself, but he went went to uh, university in uh, Pennsylvania. And he just kind of stuck around. And all the films are like set in set Pittsburgh in and... Yeah. I lived in Philly for a while, so like I have this sort of like when I think of these films, how they're all kind of like Pittsburgh. I was in Pittsburgh for a bit, like as well, and it's just like cool to think like, oh man, most of the time these are like New York or Chicago or L.A. or something or or whatever, and it's cool, like just fucking Pittsburgh. It's like it's just like so old and like it's a the steel city, like an industrious area, and there's a lot of like just farmland and stuff as well. And it kind of like, it's such a good setting for it. And now that's sort of like a popular trope in zombie films, like being away from it all. And yeah, then still the, towards, I mean, that's what they're trying to do in yeah. Dawn. They're trying to get away. <laughs> they want to get back to the sticks. Yeah. yeah. The cities are about to fucking be blown up. Yeah. But obviously that's a while away. We're smaller here. 
Yeah. <laughs> and with that like scale, like you're saying, you have to do so much in such a short amount of time, but also with such limited resources. And like the thing that scares you is like the threat. It's not even the zombies themselves because they're they're scared of misinformation. They're scared of when are yeah. we getting picked up? But like, you yeah. know, they're scared of each other. And like, should we go? Should we stay? Should we go? Should we stay? Exactly. Like it, it's, it's is about anyone all ever these. coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. It's about all those other time. factors. Like genuinely the fear of the unknown is so complex that this one sort of like concept, this one situation and eventually the entire genre can encapsulate so many of these fears. And it's not even yeah. about the, oh, what if, you know, yeah, dead people rose up again. Like it's about everything after that which i think is this definitely set the bar this film and it definitely um paved the way for sure definitely well after growing tired of commercials and uh these industrial films and mr rogers because he's apparently an asshole no no No, no, i have anything bad said about (laughs) rogers as a joke um (laughs) the team decided to make a feature horror film that would captivate audiences and capitalize on the film's industry's thirst for the bizarre. Though the effort eventually produced Night of the Living Dead, early concepts were very different. So we're talking, we're in that sci-fi era, like I mentioned on episode zero. Sci-fi films really sort of kind of took this weird sort of like aliens coming invading and taking, you know, you have, uh, you know, like, uh, invasion of the body snatchers, blah, 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 mm. sort of stuff, you know, just taking over human bodies was kind of like the thing or into. Yeah. The thing. Yeah. So, uh, Russo initially thought of making a horror comedy under the name monster flick, uh, about <laughs> hot riding, hot riding alien, alien teens who would visit earth, meet up with human teenagers and awesome. generally cause mischief. Ask <laughs> Alta Yeah. Basically, awesome. uh, Freaks and geeks, call- right? they would cause uh mischief with the help of a cosmic pet called the mess the group's budgetary constraints made this concept impossible so russo instead (laughs) no shit (laughs) (laughs) he dreamed up an idea about a boy who ran away from home only to discover a field of corpses under glass which were rotting to the liking of alien creatures who would eventually consume them uh russo presented this idea to romero who latched on to the flesh-eating angle. Armed with Russo's flesh-eating concept, Romero went to work pairing it with his story he had been working on that basically ripped off Richard Matheson's apocalyptic horror novel, I Am Legend. Mm. Mm. Lots to be said about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you, obviously that's, there's been a lot of films and stuff that tried to do the I Am Legend thing. And there's been a couple of like adaptations, like The Last Man on Earth. And then obviously I Am Will Legend. Smith's Will Smith's I Am Smith. Legend. What yeah. do you think of, I think legend? of that. Yeah. <laughs> I am indifferent. Yeah, no, same. I was just about to say that. Oh. Maybe today. But yeah, no. I think it's really one of those things where like if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Um yeah. and I am legend isn't for everybody. And it's also very like I I don't know. It it def- for me it it's like it, it's a br- something that's the brainchild of like a, a dude you know like a cis dude would because <laughs> i don't i don't for me personally i didn't feel like a I had a way in i watched i am legend because it was will smith and a dog you know which yeah. was yeah awesome. down um, yeah yeah but I, I checked out when that line came on the screen exactly exactly <laughs> but, there's, but there's ideas in that yeah. that are really interesting in terms of 
the horde, the ghouls, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Gaining some sort of self-awareness and developing their own community and are given, uh, you know, a sense of humanity. Yeah. Um, a regained humanity, even though exactly. like, it's not what the humans would consider humanity, you know? Um, but something yeah. Romero is doing yeah. in these movies as well. Um, I mean, more so each each time. Mm. Um, so yeah, it gets, he starts it gets to harder. for them more. <laughs> yeah, it gets harder and harder for them to just fucking mow down like walls of zombies. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Well, John Russo later recalled that Romero returned to him with about 40 really excellent pages, including the opening in the cemetery and the arrival at the farmhouse. So Russo's set to work on the rest in the Night of the Living Dead began to come to life. So we have our cast here. So they cast Dwayne Jones as Ben, the lead of the film. We've already talked about uh, how it was potentially just very controversial in 1968. Mm-hmm. And because uh, it, it was rare that there would be a black man to be cast as a lead of a film in an American film, but also as the hero, mm-hmm. which yeah. it was and the film was, you know, primarily composed of white actors. This guy was unknown. He was a bit of a stage actor. I think he used to be like a like a teacher or something as well. Mm-hmm. And he was just sort of like, you know, came out and auditioned. And Romero said that it was like he was just the best in the audition. Uh, it was originally written for someone who was supposed to be of Caucasian descent. But upon casting Dwayne Jones, Romero intentionally just didn't alter the script to reflect it. Mm-hmm. But this caused a lot of, like, you know, people to think that, like, oh, like, this was, like, purposely done. Yeah. And Romero was just like, no, like, I I didn't mean for it to become this thing that people have read into over the years. So it wasn't meant to be, like, this (laughs) big, like, thing. Although Dwayne Jones has said later that, like, you know, basically he fought for the film's ending. Like, Mm. yeah, like, if he survived that night. That it, it just it wouldn't be as good. Like he said, if he yeah, if he so if he survived, yeah, and like then he gets shot by a fucking cop. cop that's just like yeah. that's harrowing oh. in twenty twenty one, and that's yeah. the ending I want it again. Yeah. hadn't seen it before today, and I was like, this movie should end with him surviving, but the cops show up and they kill him anyway, and yeah. they fucking did it, and I was like, oh shit, I didn't think he'd actually <laughs> do it. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's fucking harrowing, and like it's interesting he didn't intentionally. Oh, he didn't um, have to alter the script, but like just having Dwayne Jones in that role just highlights and brings to the surface, I guess, the themes that are already there because you're dealing with, like I said, like prejudices and biases. And so that's really literal and really in your face when it's a young black man arguing with an old white man and he, the old white man, will not listen to this guy mm. who is trying to save them and save all one, of them no less like, literally like, yeah. the whole time he's, he's protecting barbara the whole time even though he did knock her out early in the movie she's but she's man. hysterical or whatever that's that's an issue on its own right but yeah, i called that as well I, I hadn't seen it in a while but i was just like this is this is just like you know old enough that he's gonna that, smack her yeah being hysterical right like and that does happen <laughs> yeah. but although it, she did hit him first so yeah even yeah but it's, but it's like it works again only in the context of like this movie is a, a critique or a satire of like 60 society. So you're showing how women are represented, how how they yeah. are treated, how black yeah. people are treated, 
how just young people are treated, how just, yeah, these people, how society works, how these people exist together, but yeah. seem to are at odds with each other and won't work together. And only in the face of certain death yeah. can they find Although, kinship. But even yeah. that's not enough. <laughs> that's not yeah. enough to keep them going. Which I thought was really interesting when that um, they were trying to keep the zombies up for like, I think, like the second or third time. The, you know, Ben just goes through the door. Harry does not let him in and he doesn't help him until oh, the very last it. second. And I was just like, yeah. you fucking dick. <laughs> yeah. But also, yeah. that's exactly yeah. who this guy is, you know? Like, yeah, sure. It's, and he's trying know, to get the gun off him. Yeah. Ew. Well, Romero was asked, like, in 2013, if he took the inspiration from the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. that happened that same year in 1968. But Romero noted that he had only heard about this shooting and also I guess like Malcolm X was around the same time as well, yeah. but he was like, mm-hmm. he had only really heard about like this until after the film was made and he was trying to find distribution for it. So, but it, we can say like Romero, like, you know, just doing what he did is like, he created this sort of groundbreaking thing, but apparently Dwayne Jones turned Ben into like the character that he was producer, Carl Hardman, who actually plays, Again, like I said, it's a lot of these people are d- pulling double duty. <laughs> He's uh, the guy who plays Harry Cooper in the film. Oh. He said the script oh. had been written uh, with the character Ben as a simple truck driver. Like, you know, he was like a simple man. <laughs> yeah. His dialogue was that of a lower class, uneducated person. But Dwayne uh, Jones came in uh, and he was just a very well-educated man. And yeah, he, well-spoken, like, simply, pragmatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he You're just really refused elevated. to do it. Yeah. Like I said, he was a he was like a teacher and stuff, so he was smart and you know he's a an actor as well, like a stage actor. So he's like probably held himself to a certain regard, and he refused to do it as it was written. And uh, Hardman said, I, as I recall, I believe that Dwayne himself upgraded his own dialogue to reflect how he felt the character should present himself. So he yeah. like basically rewrote shit, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Did he yeah. decide on that lovely little cardigan that he wears? Oh, I love that. <laughs> I adore Maybe. it. And uh, I was like, yeah, oh no, good. he's gonna he's not gonna spend the rest of the film in it. No. Oh damn, he yeah. just slowly loses clothes. <laughs> yeah. I mean everybody like, oh, everybody no. looks amazing. We love this <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love the sixties. Everybody looks amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a weird like rain jacket thing. <laughs> Obsessed like, with yeah. running around. So cool. like the shape yeah. of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that like, you know, Ben just knew exactly the size of shoes she needed to wear as well. He's just like I mean white girls all have the same feet, right? That's what they say about white girls. This works, yeah. Yeah. But as to the ending, Dwayne Jones said that I convinced George that the black community would rather see me dead than saved. After all that had gone on in the corny and symbolically confusing way, the heroes Mm. never die in American movies. The jolts of that and the double jolts of the hero being black seemed like a double-barreled whammy. Yeah, like the black (laughs) hero dies. The way they did it as well, like, because it's a black and white And then the photos. And the photos, it's just like... It's just like you're watching like it's newsreel and it just feels like you're like watching like a story about like a black man who was lynched or something. Just yeah. the way they put him on the body. It's just like. I can't believe it. Uh, really 1968 intense. again. Like yeah. obviously that's timely for then, but it's fucking yeah. depressing it's still, yeah. for it to but be timely like, now. Yeah. Well, we have Judith O'Dea or O'Dea. I'm not really sure how she pronounces it as Barbara the coming to They're get you. They're coming for you, Barbara. Barbara. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Johnny. I never realized they were brother and sister. Yeah, yeah I thought they were a couple. This re- I always thought they were a couple when yeah. I was younger. I don't know why I thought 
they yeah, reminded like, me of um the it like the whole sequence of the feud reminded me of the opening sequence to Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, when, very when much so. Were, Julia yeah. said yeah. that it, she was like, "This is a total right? Brad and Janet vibes." Yeah, it's, yeah. It's for sure, yeah. Brad and Janet, and that means you know Brad and Janet owe their whole shtick to yeah. like <laughs> the sequence and of and he's an asshole. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Oh my god, asshole in glass. Uh, total, total Big Brother energy. Yeah. Barbara Lo Judith O'D, she was a, a 23-year-old commercial and stage actress, and she had previously worked in uh, films that the other producers in the film, like of the film, had done with their latent image production company. And she was in Hollywood just trying to make it in the business. And then she went out for this role. And she said that a lot of the dialogue was ad-libbed and it didn't seem to have like a proper script. It, you know, it's just like it had actors getting direction of where to go, but they were improvising a lot and they were hoping that the sound was working. That was their biggest concern. Like, yeah. As long as the sound's working. So like her whole thing where she's explaining to Ben, like what happened earlier in the film, like where she basically, she's in hysterics. She's like losing it. Like, yeah. 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 I, like, I don't like I I like her. She looks amazing and stuff and she's fine with what she's doing. I just like it's almost a shame of how like uh, and we'll see it evolve through the next film because the next film I think does a little bit better. But of how she's yeah. just this worthless like <laughs> woman who's just hysteria. completely lost. Yeah. yeah. Running around, yeah. falling down, losing a shoe. Yeah. 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 It's just absurd. But I mean, I think it's that's just that even. style of film back then, you know. Yeah. If that's that was the only thing that kind of bothered me was like all these women are just in shock and they're like in the background. Except, <laughs> like, for, except for to Harry's do. wife who, you know, yeah. she, she like yeah, smokes yeah, one and yells at her husband, her. but then ultimately yeah. her demise is at the hand of her own daughter. You yeah, know? the only Which thing she was put there loved. by his fucking seed. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, God damn so it, Harry. He killed her <laughs> in the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dying together uh, will solve nothing. I fucking thought that line Great was so harsh. Line. Great yeah. line. My God. But what does he want? Yeah. What is he trying to prove? It's just like bitter, sad, old, hero impotent man. old man. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're clearly White not. fragility. Am I right? Like, yeah. Yes. It's like your heyday. You look like a guy from the 50s, from the 40s. Yeah. Who's yeah. Like, the the who 40s was your heyday. You don't heyday. fit here. Yeah. 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 This is a different war, here. Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, assessing uh, Night of the Living Dead, Judith O'D said that honestly had no idea that it would have such a lasting impact on our culture. She was just as surprised at the renown the film brought her as well. And she said, People treat you differently. I'm ho hum Judy O'D until they realize I'm Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. And all of a sudden, I'm not so hum ho anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is interesting. All right. So, I already said that Carl Hardman, who plays Harry, Cooper was one of the producers of the film, but his wife in the film, who, who is Helen Cooper, is played by Marilyn Eastman, and she's his real-life wife. Wow. They were real-life husband and wife, so this must have been kind of fun to do. <laughs> you can awesome. kind of get this little bitterness out between you and stuff. Yeah. And the interesting thing about Marilyn is, apart from being Helen, and she's actually she's actually pretty awesome as Helen. I quite like that character. She's awesome. Uh, she assisted with the screenwriting the makeup, and she played one of the ghouls. So she was actually one of the lead supervisors on the makeup, and then she gets to play one of the ghouls. I think that was also a thing. Quite a few of the people were playing the ghouls as well because it was just like a small crew. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they were doubling (laughs) up, but they did a good job of like 
it's never just a couple people yeah. like vaguely lit in the woods yeah. it's like good it's like decent wide like those are my favorite shots in the movie decent wide and it's just sort of a line of slow moving people it's enough yeah. to it's enough to believe it and they're all like dressed in a really specific like they're all characters in their own right because yeah. you can see there's one they're naked dressed one. in yeah there's one naked one yeah that she was, was really controversial as well yeah. sort of like they felt like I mean, Zombie they did a butt? few things. What am I supposed to think? There are no bites on her butt. How does she die? <laughs> if you, <laughs> this film did quite a few crazy things, I guess, for the time, like you know, the guts and the, the like, oh you know, yeah, all the stuff, like you know, yeah. that stuff that wasn't seen back then. But then, like having a nude woman walk by as well, and it was just too like, much. <laughs> it's like the flushing toilet in Psycho. It's like get yeah. that shit yeah. the fuck out of here. <laughs> Listen here, see, yeah. this is not appropriate. <laughs> That's like the 20s. But yeah, no, the fact that like now I think with the advent of CGI and everything, every zombie is sort of like a duplicate of the other. They're dressed in the same sort of Abercrombie slash Urban Outfitters H&M kind of thing, unless it's specific set pieces. But what was really interesting about this is that they were all, and it carries over to the second film, I think, they were all just sort of like, you could tell that they were people before because, you know, some of them were wearing lab coats. Some of them were in their pajamas and and real effort to put in there. Um, Some of them are naked, you know, like. Yeah. Um, Kyra Sean, who plays Karen Cooper, the daughter. Guess what, guys? She's their real life daughter as well. Imagine Uh, that. You get to kill your mom and dad. Fuck yeah. Like, yeah. How awesome would that have been? (laughs) So vibes. Uh, Keith. Keith Wayne and Judith Ridley, they play Tom and Judy, who get blown up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was yeah. hardcore. I was just like, oh, yeah. shit. They're going to blow up the car? I, didn't I, know knew the second, I knew the second her jacket got hooked in the seatbelt. I was like, yeah, they're going to die right yeah. now. I, I thought she was going <laughs> to try and like make a run for it. I was like, oh, this, yeah. she's going to get them both killed. Jesus Christ. Kind of a shame. Tom was cool. Tom, Tom was cool. He's a nice guy. He's like, right he away, like, like no, got to help listen, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. He's right. Come on, yeah. Mr. Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> this is something else. This is something different. That's why he died, because you can't be nice in the zombie apocalypse and get away with it, right? Like, That's true. Nice guys die first. Yeah. Nice uh-huh. guys finish last. In zombie movies. Shut up, Green Day. <laughs> uh, no, I was quoting an old Ryan Higa video. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That's your old ass. George A. Romero and John Russo, they both make cameos in the film as well. John Russo played one of the ghouls who managed to get into the farmhouse only to be struck with a tire iron. So he's the one that gets like... The one that gets stabbed in the head? The fucking head, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was Hardcore. sick. Awesome. Yeah. And Romero can be seen in the Washington, D.C. sequences as a reporter. So That bit looked fucking cool. Yeah. That's like that's really like of the night guys. It felt like a Watergate, you know. Yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. Bruder film almost. I love how they're filming all this stuff. I think that's the best thing about it is because there's always the media around it and how yeah. it's reporting things. And it's like you've get a lot of like I guess a lot of zombie uh series and stuff. Um you get it a bit at the beginning, but then it's just like everything's completely fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And like then there's not any of that anymore because society has fallen but it's mm-hmm. kind of fun i think the beginning of it it's always like the hype train and i think that's what made like the pandemic we're in now like i was saying earlier like going to the supermarket was scary and the whole everything was scary because it was like what is this what is going on like will society come back from this and it's like of course it's not going to turn to a zombie apocalypse not that i know of 
but it's just like the the, the fear of like not knowing what's going to happen next and just getting like the media just like constantly like hammering in more and more fear because they make mm. money off of scaring the fuck out of people sure. yeah and what a great ingenious way to just get your expedition across without it yeah. feeling because yes. the characters want to know what yeah. the fuck yeah. has happened <laughs> yeah. they need to know it so it's a yeah. great way of doing it and they make it more interesting at the radio and then the tv and then the, the, the group you've seen them get to the point where now they're all patrolled and then the patrol comes it's this like really interesting subplot that's happening yeah and it's like it's the one tether i think that continues Throughout like the you whole could watch, series, yeah. yeah, exactly. Continued into the next one, you could what like you could cut all those together, and you could get an actually a good picture of how, how humanity, well it, yeah. yeah, are dealing with it, and it's yeah. not yeah. not very well, very not, well. Good. Not, not good, not good, not good. <laughs> People <laughs> dead, good. yeah. It's also interesting how like again, it, it, you know, it's not just exposition because you get to see how each character responds and how that affects their relationships upon learning certain information upon trusting certain information or not like that creates such a huge divide amongst the group like i i love that little scene in the cellar where um helen finds out there's a tv up there and immediately she's like you idiot we should be up there like <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 we gotta know what's going we on gotta know we won't even know on. if someone come to get us like yeah. what the yeah. fuck are we doing that fucking death trap <laughs> like maybe this isn't as bad as it like seems like yeah. maybe it's, it'll be over soon it's weird how it almost is in this one yeah you know like how it yeah it, seems it looks like up, it could be wrapped right? up yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah at least here you yeah. don't realize it's everywhere in yeah. america yeah and you just get dropped into the yeah. The, the heavy shit in the next film. <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah. <laughs> well, at, to add to the realism of the zombie attack scenes, both John Russo and actor Bill Hinsman, who plays the iconic cemetery ghoul in the opening sequence, this guy was breaking zombie rules awesome. from the get-go. Yeah. So we have to remember, Romero set his rules for things after this film, especially when he decided he was going to make a sequel. Because he made he basically made the rules in this film, but mm-hmm. he decided he needed to like all right, I need to set proper parameters for myself because this guy's running around like he's, he's kind of smashing fast, headlights with a rock, fast, picking up rocks. Although this is uh, an interesting thing because we'll see as this series goes on, the zombies evolve a little bit. And like, it's not uncommon in Romero zombie films for them to use tools. Yeah. So it's, it's something that he continues to use. So they both volunteered to be set on fire. So we have, of course, uh, the fire scenes uh, oh, once yeah. when Ben's throwing the chair Gosh, out and yeah. also when he's throwing Molotov cocktails. So Russo was lit on fire during the scene when the survivors are throwing the cocktail Molotov cocktails at the undead. And Hinsman poured lighter fluid on his suit so that he can be lit during the scene when Ben wards off the ghouls <laughs> with a torch. In both cases, everything was fine. It went according to plan. But one fire was started by accident. For the scene in which Ben sets the chair on fire to distract the ghouls, crew member Gary Striner, who's the brother of uh, the guy who plays uh, Johnny, volunteered to coat the prop with gasoline. Everything went fine for the first take, but then when it came time to give it a second try, Striner ran into trouble when he tried to add more gasoline. He said, I just went over there and started to pour the gas and the liquid found a hot ember somewhere and a flame just came up into his container and I'm holding it in my hand. He said, and I jumped back, and all of a sudden, I'm on fire. <laughs> he oh, set shit. himself on fire. And luckily, someone had a fucking uh, fire extinguisher close by, and they like 
put him out before any damage could really be done. But jeez, oh I imagine him like uh, Simpsons, like Homer when he's doing the body, <laughs> yeah, emptying yeah. the lighter fluid, <laughs> and he goes through like three <laughs> bottles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He like licks the top oh. to see what it tastes like. Mm, gasoline. Mm. <laughs> Filming took place between July 1967 and January 1968, working under the title Night of Anubis. What's Anubis? God of Death. Yeah. So the uh, Anubis cut is available on the Criterion version, which is what I watched this on. So it's basically like the work print version of Night of the Living Dead. So. They like re they they found the an old work print and they like recut it and just like added in a lot more of the sound and stuff from the actual film and just recreated this work print and it's available on Criterion. It's really cool. There's a little bit of differences, like, but it's not too much. Um, it's kind of almost like watching the film. So I didn't watch the entire thing, but I started watching it just to kind of see. I think there's a few differences here and there, like different shots that were used and stuff. Um, but later the film was called Night of the Flesh Eaters. The small budget led Romero to shoot on 35 millimeter black and white film. Uh, scenes were filmed near Evans City, Pennsylvania, 30 miles north of Pittsburgh in rural Butler County. The opening sequence was shot at the Evans City Cemetery. The farmhouse, which has long since been demolished, stood near Evans City as well. And the house's cellar, the famous cellar that Harry wants to stay in, it's not a part of that house. That house never had a cellar. It's yeah. actually... Uh, at the basement of the production company, Leighton Image. So they just built oh. <laughs> <laughs> and kept a child on there. Great. <laughs> like yeah. most she production companies. She got to sleep and then murder her parents on camera. Like, awesome. Yeah. Oh my God, what a day. What a day. And probably not get paid. Oh, yeah. Child labor laws in the city. Child labor. Let's, yeah. let's talk about that. Plus, her parents were like helping make the film. So, of course, she didn't get paid. Yeah, they were like, probably yeah you're helping overtime. us. Come on. It's like yeah, bring your job to work. Wait here. So you're there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever the 60s equivalent of getting lots of, you know, what, what do kids get reward with today? Like jewel pods? No, I don't know. <laughs> jewel pods? <laughs> AirPod. Um, <laughs> take, I thought talk. you said jewels, like little fucking. Yeah, I said jewels. Vape, jewel jewel pods. Yeah. yeah. Electric, <laughs> electric scooters. Oh, electric God. scooters. <laughs> Fidget spinners. Props and special effects for the film were pretty simple because they were on a limited budget. Since the film was shot in black and white, the crew never had to worry about what color the blood was. So either red ink or chocolate syrup was used, depending on the desired effect for each shot. Uh, For the scene in which Karen Cooper, who is uh, played by Cara Sean, uh, begins eating her father's corpse, the crew's leftover lunch was employed. Cara Sean said (laughs) that, Earlier in the day, we were eating hamburgers or meatball sandwiches, so they just smeared chocolate syrup all over it, and that's what I began biting into. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish they used ketchup. Poor girl. <laughs> uh, yeah, goddamn meatball sandwiches and like chocolate, chocolate syrup. syrup. Mm. Just, like fucking Buddy the Elf. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, costumes were bought at a Goodwill thrift store, and Marilyn Eastman, who supervised the makeup, Costumes and special effects basically just had to deal with all that. Basically, the zombie makeup varied during the film. Initially, makeup was limited to white skin with black and eyes. But as the filming progressed, mortician's wax was used to simulate wounds and decaying flesh. So you can see it a little bit. I think they mm. did a, like you know did a little bit more. And we'll see that with the next film as well. They did a little bit more with uh, certain people who were maybe close up. But people in the background just, just put a little bit of paint on their face, darken their eyes. 
tattered clothes, no clothes, whatever. Who cares? Yes, <laughs> it's the wide shot. Night of the Living Dead premiered on October 1st, 1968 at the Fulton Theater in Pittsburgh. Nationally, it was shown as a Saturday afternoon matinee, as was typical for horror films at the time, and attracted an audience consisting of preteens and adolescents. The MPAA film rating system was not in place until the following month, <laughs> so even young children were able to purchase tickets to this, and this is what created a really big stink with critics, notably who I said earlier, Roger Ebert, who tried it theater owners and parents for allowing their children to see a film like that. So it caused a big controversy, I think. It was like a, a big thing, Ebert's review. He's since gone back and like said, you know, if I was reviewing this now, I would be like, obviously, it'd be like, uh, it's a classic. It's like three and a half star film for me. But like, he, uh, <laughs> I think he kind of like, it's that thing that almost like it feels like he could have potentially harmed it but it's like something that made it so it's like Phil and I we were talking about Mortal Kombat like uh, on the all these fucking parents trying to get yeah. their kid away from it and all it does is just like make, make you want to go see it more yeah see it more mm-hmm. yeah so it's like so yeah despite the controversy Night of the Living Dead went on to become one of the most profitable horror films ever produced outside of a major studio the film had earned between 12 and 15 million dollars at the u.s box office after a decade and it translated into more than 25 languages and released across europe canada and australia and it grossed 30 million dollars internationally all on a hundred and fourteen thousand dollar budget that's mad it's actually a lot higher than i thought it would be and that's the most profitable indie movie ever i mean you could say yes obviously it's still going to make a lot a lot of money but thing is that's famous about Night of the Living Dead and you, Ariane said it doesn't feel like it's as accessible. I disagree 100% because I think it's one of the most accessible films ever, especially a horror film, because Night of the Living Dead is famously in the public domain. It's the most famous that's public domain so film many of all. That's why there's so many I know, I'm just saying when Phil was talking about all the other sort of, you know, films in that era, the ones that are kind of get lumped behind, they're not yeah, as yeah. easy to find. Yeah. you know not unless you're a film person i guess yeah. but um yeah no uh, yeah public domain that's why there's so many this friggin remakes is, of this so one. many remakes so many versions unofficial sequels yeah whole yeah. series yeah a whole film. series yeah it was never intended to be that way but it happened the walter reed organization which distributed the film wanted the to release it under the title like i said earlier night of the flesh eaters which was like a working title for a while but lawyers representing the makers of the 1964 The Flesh Eaters threatened <laughs> a lawsuit, so the title was changed to Night of the Living Dead. And when the title was changed, copyright notices were not added to the original titles or to the end credits. So that meant that the filmmakers lost their copyright, and the film was just out there. And they went to federal court and tried to fight it, but the Oops. film is still in the public domain. Uh, so... <laughs> That's Shit. why there's countless copies of it, and every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there tries to distribute the film. We could do it. We, we can. We could put it out. Make we could bank. Put it out. We Presented by franchise. Franchise presents the, the, the franchise cut. <laughs> the franchise <laughs> yeah. cut. Yeah. The Tyrese. Yeah, we could do whatever we wanted to to it, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun. Um, it's yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the film, like it, you know, critics and historians have like interpreted Night of the Living Dead as this like subversive film that critiques the 1960s American society 
like, you know, the Cold War politics and domestic relations between white and black people. Elliot Stein of the Village Voice saw the film as an ardent critique of American involvement in Vietnam, <laughs> arguing mm-hmm. that it was it wasn't set in Transylvania, but Pennsylvania. This was middle America at war and the zombie carnage seemed a grotesque echo of conflict then raging in Vietnam. Stein added in the first ever subversive horror movie, the resourceful black hero survives the zombies only to be surprised by a redneck posse. <laughs> That's what's kind of crazy. Too, yeah, it's crazy. It's just like, fuck. It, it's so bleak. The ending. Yeah. So mm. bleak. So like bleak. films and stuff like, even like your slashers and all that sort of stuff, like it can leave you with like, you know, at least some sort of closure that like, you know, your survival girl gets away or something like that. But this yeah. film just like fucking just takes that away from it's you. Just a it fuck makes you. it, but that's it makes what, it all the way. And it's just, it's so powerful, man. I think that's what uh, elevated it for me. That mm. ending. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, could it feel more because all those themes are there. It's not yeah. even think it's not people like overreading it. That shit's there, and that's what makes the movie. Yeah, and it makes it the sort of like art house horror movie while still being like a really entertaining, um, engaging horror movie. But it's it that sort of ending is like justifies its existence and its longevity and why we're still talking about For it sure. rather than yeah. like a sure. mixed I've mixed feelings on the horror genre in general because I find a lot of them distasteful and boring and throwaway and it's like I have no interest in just people getting killed. You know? Like I yeah. just as a as a thing, I mean I, I there are exceptions to the rule. <laughs> there are movies that are just pure fun. Demons. Yeah, that Joseph. do that do that. You're in it for the kills essentially. Yeah. yeah, but like the one, I mean, cause genre films in general are fairly aren't taken seriously, and that it's not fair. And there are movies like this that are like it's this is great. This is like one of the best movies from the sixties, easily that easily holds up and should be talked about in the same regard as like a a psycho or mm. anything from that from that era. And you could yeah. see that because like and the cult reputation and obviously there was lots of other movies and we as an audience are enjoy them continue to enjoy them but only yeah. till recently like you were saying the last 10 15 years did we see zombies finally accepted as they almost like suddenly people realized it's like, oh, oh yeah, wait they're, they're scary yeah yeah they they're like metaphorical actually yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like what yeah. the stoners like, and dorms have gone on to yeah. the, the zombie movies exactly. it's also interesting that like like you were saying, yeah, genre films don't get held in that sort of artistic regard because mm. a lot of the time people think that they have nothing to say, but that would discredit a lot of what genre films are because it's usually mm-hmm. like analogies or, you know, a new way to tell a story that we've already seen, a new way to handle a problem we don't have the words for yet. And I think this film specifically hit the nail on the head with that. Like, I don't think you know, no one in that time period was probably as as brave as Romero and his team were to communicate what they wanted to communicate. And the fact that like, like Phil said earlier, it contributes to its longevity, how much we're still talking about it, how much it influences culture, but it is a shame to see sort of like this quality of the genre sort of come back and be one-offs or, or something special as opposed to like, Mm. you know, the, the norm in the genre. Cause yeah, you know, Hollywood, the machine, capitalism, consumerism, all these things contribute to 
how much how much shit we get to you know how many conjuring movies there are like you know (laughs) shit just keeps getting cranked out instead of telling a story i mean and you can almost blame this film for it because like oh yeah sure yeah it's successful let's replicate it yeah Yeah. it inspired everything it made the rules inspired everything like romero never used the word zombie in the film yeah yeah he thought he created something new he didn't know what to call it and he was using the word ghoul in the film um but then people were you know tell him like oh this kind of reminds me of like the haitian zombies and and he was like oh you're doing something completely new and then He sort of just accepted it because he saw the similarities and like he was like, all right, well, there's zombies and he went with it. But that created like a world of zombie movies and franchises. We have the Resident Evil, Shaun of the Dead, One Cut of the Dead. You got Zombie Land, oh, you got shit. World War Z, yeah. you got The Walking Dead. And it's like I said, it inspired horror filmmaking, the movement in the 70s, the 80s, showing like these directors that their slasher films could be made on a shoestring budget and just like be extremely shitload of money yeah and it didn't matter at that point what you had because it always starts with something like you know i obviously like a carpenter would have been influenced by this film and he was also influenced by like black christmas which also (laughs) was probably influenced by this film being able to make something like like a slasher film on a small budget and he creates halloween and then it just like created a everything else yeah it's just like for fuck's sake find the 80 who gives a shit it's a teenager with their tits out and some (laughs) mass killer comes and slices their heads off (laughs) it is awesome but it also is says absolutely nothing (laughs) but it's fun to watch at least but i mean they're not all great but it's great that this film whether intentional or not had like a lot to say and romero said stuff about it later you know he said like listen i mean you know it's during the time of Vietnam, we were like, you know, peace and love. And just like everybody was pissed off about something and, you know, was trying to flip the bird to someone, you know, that sort of vibe. So it's like, you know, he, I guess he sort of knew what he was going for. But at the same time, it's awesome. I think it's almost awesome that he like didn't intend it. And it just created this like really like kind of beautiful ending message and lasting sort of like legacy. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, like the way Ari said it perfectly, a new way to solve an old problem. And it's like people never fucking get along. Now they have to get along with a bunch of fucking zombies. Like, (laughs) who don't want to get along with them? Exactly. It's great. It's interesting to watch play out. Well, in an attempt to maybe clear up any of the copyright claims that they were dealing with, uh, with Night of the Living Dead, trying to like maybe get some of it back, some of that piece of the pie that they probably missed out on. Russo and Romero and the other collaborators from the film reteamed for the 1991 remake directed by Tom Savini, who we'll hear a lot about in the next episode. Yeah, second scene. Which uh, (laughs) saw better special effects, obviously. And we had Mr. Tony Todd, a.k.a. Candyman, was cast as Ben in the lead role. Uh, It didn't do as well in a but it was still kind of, it's kind of a fun film. I remember seeing that back in the day, but it's, it doesn't hold a candle really, but it's, still kind of fun for what it is but also in 1998 russo decided to revisit the film for the 30th anniversary which saw him basically re-release the night of the living dead but it was like with more scenes added in here and there like the gave backstory to certain characters like the cemetery ghoul so it just kind of gave him like a an origin story and stuff <laughs> but like <Why>? newly shot <laughs> for yeah. that cut yeah okay. and uh, apparently it was really bad <laughs> but After the Night of the Living Dead's initial success, the two creators split in a disagreement regarding how the series uh, should head. 
And since the film was in the public domain, each were able to do whatever they wanted to with the continuity of the project. So I don't know, maybe a light beat wa- beef watch here. It's not like it's <laughs> light not, beef. It's no it's Tyrese and it's Vin no Tyrese and the, and Rock, the Rock. And, yeah, but yeah, there was a bit of a disagreement. Let's mm. say um, a kerfuffle. You know, yeah, so <laughs> that's they what both led, got their way. Yeah, yeah, and that's what led to Romero going on to direct five additional dead films. So he used Public dead domain, baby. While Russo branched into the literary territory, writing Return of the Living Dead, which was later loosely adapted into a film of the same name, when it have a franchise of its own, which we'll dive into the first three films of later in season two. But first, we continue with. Romero's first dead trilogy. And next week, baby, we're going shopping. <laughs> Romero's 1978. Don't be shopping. Masterpiece. Dawn of the Dead. As always, you can follow us at Breadcrumb Pod on Twitter and Instagram and learn more about the Breadcrumb Collective at breadcrumbcollective.com. Feel free to reach out and let us know what you think about the show. And always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and not the Jeremy Renner app. <laughs> and leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcast. <laughs> it really helps us out, and we would love to grow the show and know what you think about Night of yeah. the Living Dead. Hell yeah. Definitely let us know what you think. And let us know what you think we might do for some of these uh, mystery side missions that we haven't side told mission. you what they are yet. Or what you'd like to hear. Maybe it'll change our minds. It won't, but maybe. Uh, stay <laughs> tuned next week. Dawn of the Dead. 1978. Don't watch that 2004 one yet. We're not doing that yet. We're not doing that yet. Not yet. The week after. Not yet. Don't get confused. Bye, guys. Bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery Main, Franchise, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.